just to thank you, Lord, for this wonderful morning, Lord, that we are able to gather here in this house, Lord, to, so that we can uh, listen, that we may understand more and know more of your word, Lord, that we may, as we uh, walk on this earth, Lord, that we are uh, willing to do more for you, Lord, that we are able to understand more so we can uh, go out there and show others the good news and tell them to, Father, just pray that you may be with our brother here, Lord, that you may be with him. That you may speak for him as well, Lord. I ask this in your name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Our young brother prayed and thanked the Lord for the good day that we have, and uh, I guess he wasn't thinking about the result of last night. We've got something far better than that, haven't we, to thank the Lord for? Yeah. Now, uh, you've asked me to preach today from Genesis uh, chapter 18, starting with Genesis 18. So if you'd like to turn to that with me, we'll read. It's quite a long passage to read. It's well into chapter 19. But we'll read it together and let it speak to us itself. So it's Genesis 18 and starting at, at verse 16. Just by way of... Uh, going back to probably what you had last week, uh, three men, we'll say that like three men, came to visit Abraham and uh, uh, then the men rose, having spoken to him and having been entertained by Abraham, the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were fifty righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the fifty righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for lack of five? So he said, If I find there forty-five, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to me yet again and said, Suppose there should be forty found there. I will not do it for forty. Then he said, Let not, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed now, I've taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. 
Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Now the two angels, notice their angels, came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. Then they said, This one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. That would have been the angels. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place? For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law he seemed to be joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, Please know, my lords, Indeed now your servant has found favour in your sight and you have increased your mercy which you have shown me by saving my life but I cannot escape to the mountains lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now, this city is near enough to flee to and it is a little one, please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favoured you concerning this thing also in that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. 
The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain, and he saw and behold the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that Abraham, uh, uh, that, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Then Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains. And I think I'll leave it there. You can read the rest at your leisure. Now, you know, as we come to this quite long reading from the Word of God, we, uh, we come to a, a, a disturbing and quite devastating situation, really, as it touched Abraham, uh, the friend of God, and his nephew Lot. Three men appeared, and we know that they were not men. At least two of them were angels, and the other one appears to have been the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But, you know, as we look at how Abraham received these men and then how Lot received the, these two men, these, well, only two in Lot's case, uh, we find that uh, something, we learn something of the courtesies of the day uh, for those who were righteous. And I want to remind you about Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So, uh, we are told in the New Testament that we should be careful to entertain people, people that pass by, that we should be hospitable. And certainly as Christians, we should be no less hospitable than Abraham and Lot. Now, at least two of these men were angels, but the other appears to have been the Lord Jesus Christ himself in what we call a Christophany. That is, an appearance of the Lord on earth before his incarnation. That's the Lord Jesus. Now, the story is narrative and is well enough told in the Scriptures. We'll want to draw from this passage those lessons that are applicable to us today. Now, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? Abraham wasn't called the friend of God for nothing. That was the title that was given to Abraham, the friend of God. Now, the dialogue that follows shows Abraham's concern for his nephew Lot. And, the, 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 and it goes like this. Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it. And if not, I will know. And then uh, verse 22, Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood before the Lord. And that tells us that these two men were angels, but the one that stayed behind with Abraham was the Lord himself. Abraham asked the Lord, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? And then he answers his own question in verse 25, Shall not the judge of all the earth do that which is right? Shall not the judge of all the earth do that which is right? 
And you know, as we look around our world and we can't understand what God is doing in the world at any particular time or what God is doing in our own lives, we must recall in our own hearts that the judge of all the earth will always do that which is right every time. Abraham was well aware of the sinful nature of Sodom. Do you remember a few chapters ago uh, when Abraham had said to the wicked king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say I I have made Abraham rich. Then with due reverence to the Lord, Abraham pleads for Lot. Lord, if, if there are 50 in that city, would you destroy the righteous uh, with, with the evil ones, with the enemy? And the Lord said, no, if you can show me 50 in that city, I will not destroy it. Well, what about 45? What about 40? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? No, I will not destroy it if there are 10 righteous in that city. So it seems that Lot and perhaps one or two of his family were the only ones who were righteous in a whole city. Not even ten righteous in, any, in either of those two cities. They were wholly given over to the grossest sins. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of the Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face towards the ground, And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And again we see that the culture and courteous uh, handling of the righteous in those days, the courtesies of them. Now, Lot was a righteous man. How do we know? He's righteous because he's been declared righteous by Almighty God himself in the Bible. Now the Bible for being declared Bible word for being declared righteous is justified. And when you see the word justification, justified, justify, it means to be declared righteous at the tribunal of Almighty God. God declared Lot righteous. Lot was a saved man. Now there is that in Lot's life which would have made us think that perhaps he was not a saved man. But we know that he was made righteous through faith by the grace of God and he was called righteous Lot. 2 Peter 2.7 The Lord delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. So Lot was a saved man. But although he was a saved man, he was a man who loved the world more than he loved God. He went down there very rich and he came back absolutely empty. A saved man, but very, very worldly. Now, I want to talk about worldliness today. I think that's the main message that we can get from these these verses and these chapters. And in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, we read, Be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be not conformed to this world. You know, the uh, Phillips translation goes like this, don't let this world squeeze you into its mould. 
And you might think that it's a pretty loose translation, but actually it's not. The linguists tell us that that is precisely what it says. Do not let this world squeeze you into its mold. And young people particularly, watch out for the world. Watch out for the world round about you. James 4 and 4, listen. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. That's very, very strong language. Listen. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself the enemy of God. Very, very strong, isn't it? Very strong language. And again in 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So I appeal to you, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. And we must be very, very careful that we don't conform to this world. We see Lot, who was a farmer and a breeder of cattle, at the gate of the city, so much a part of that wicked city that he had a measure of authority. Because those who sat at the gate were the elders and the dignitaries and the leaders of the people. So Lot was so much a part of the place that he actually sat in the gate to, to give his wisdom for the, for the city. So much had Lot assimilated himself into the wicked world around him. He was a saved man by God's grace who apparently loved the world more than he loved God. Now, my dear friends, could we just think back at our own, at our own lives and, and, and understand where we stand before God in regard to our loving the world and our being a part of the world around us and our testimony in the world? I wonder if you ever thought about the judgment seat of Christ. I wonder if you've ever thought how that one day you must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I want to bring you the verses. Romans 14.10 We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may give an account of ourselves to God. 2 Corinthians 5.10 We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things done in the body. Now the judgment seat of Christ is the Bema seat, B-E-M-A. It is not a tribunal. It is not a court of law. It's not that kind of a judgment seat. It's the seat where the judges sat at the Isthmian Games to, to see who had won. So they judged that so-and-so had won, this one has won, this one's come second, this one's come third. It's that kind of a judgment. It's a judgment for reward. Now, at the judgment seat of Christ our sins will never come up there. It's for rewards for service. Now, why won't our sins come up there? Because our sins have been dealt with on the cross. All right? And God will never bring our sins up to us again if we are his. And if we stand there before the judgment seat of Christ, it's only our service that will be judged. Now, my dear friends, there's going to be some who on that day are going to be ashamed because they have nothing to give back to the Lord who bought them with his own precious blood. There'll be some who stand there at the judgment seat of Christ where it's tried, where they're tried by fire and everything that is useless will be burned away and there'll only be a pile of ashes at their feet with nothing to give to the Lord. Wouldn't it be terrible? Wouldn't it be terrible to have nothing to give back to the Lord? or so little to give back to the Lord by way of service. 
Listen to 1 Corinthians 3. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so is by fire. So there'll be those who've been saved by God's grace and through faith on that day who will have very little, perhaps nothing, to offer the Lord. Just a pile of ashes at their feet. And you know, I'm very, very glad that that which is useless in my life, that, which, that service of mine which is useless is going to be burned up. Only what God, only what our Lord Jesus Christ considers to be gold, silver, precious stones will remain. So that I don't have to carry that round with me as a burden throughout eternity. Now, 1 John 2, 28 says, Abide in him that when he appears he may, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So it is possible to be ashamed before the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes for us. And I, 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 I implore you, think about that. Think about the day when you stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ to receive rewards. What have you got? to offer to the Lord Jesus. Now, God made unconditional, an unconditional covenant with Abraham and it was like this. I, he said, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants will I give this land. This covenant that God made with Abraham was repeated and embellished and given also to Isaac and Jacob. But chapter 15, verse 13, and this is significant. Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. That, of course, refers to the 400 years that they were in Egypt. And also the nation whom you serve I will judge. That's Egypt. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Now the promise to Abraham concerning the land was for his descendants. Abraham himself never owned any more of that land than a field, with a cave in it in which he could bury his wife, Sarah. Why not? Why was it that God would not give the land that he promised him to Abraham himself? Why did it have to be after 400 years? Because of the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. God would give them 400 years to repent, but God who sees the future knew that they would not repent. So it would be 400 years before their iniquity was so replete that God would dispossess them and give the, their land to the descendants of Abraham, as promised. However, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were already so devastatingly sinful 
that they must be destroyed immediately. The sins of those cities were absolutely replete and complete uh, in, in their sin. Now, the story of such lewd homosexuality is so depraved as to leave us in no doubt as to the sinfulness of this wicked city and these wicked people in the city. Strangers had come into their town overnight. Virtually the whole town came out to violate them. They were to be homosexually raped. This demonstrates very clearly the horrific sinfulness for which they were to be judged. Judged 400 years before the other wicked Amorites. It's surprising and quite horrifying really to think that Lot would offer them his two daughters to violate instead. But such was the difference in magnitude between homosexual sin and heterosexual sin. And we need to see that. Now, what is the application for us today? What can we learn from this? Well, we had a, last night we had an, an election. And perhaps some of you stayed up to listen to the results. You know, our laws have been changed in recent decades to not only allow homosexuality, but to promote it as an acceptable alternative lifestyle. You know that that's happened in, the, in recent years. Where has all this come from? In our times, godless, radical feminism has changed our culture utterly since the early 1970s. One of the most destructive elements in worldly society today, dominating our law changes, and, and is the godless philosophy of the radical feminist movement. Taking root in the 70s, the real nature and goal of radical feminism advanced towards the pernicious movement it is today. Now, there was an official declaration of feminism uh, in uh, 1971, and this is how it reads, and it gives me no pleasure to read these things to you. The end of the institution of marriage is necessary for the liberation of women. Therefore, it is important for us to encourage women to leave their husbands and not live individually with men. All history must be rewritten in terms of the oppression of women. We must go back to ancient female religions like witchcraft. Radical feminist Gloria Steinem wrote these words, By the year 2000, we will, I hope, raise our children to believe in human potential, not God. Annie Laurie Gailey, another radical feminist, let us forget about the mythical Jesus and look for encouragement, solace, and inspiration from real women. This is its goal and objective. Has it been successful? Has it been successful? Huge steps have been taken to accomplish its end. Feminism in recent New Zealand governments has espoused all the godless movements of our time. The feminist movement has now achieved abortion virtually on demand so that over 16,000 uh, children are ripped from the God-given safety of their mother's womb in our country alone each year. It has risen to above 16,000. I believe in America it's over a million. It was feminist Fran Wilde who espoused homosexual law reform in spite of by far the largest petition ever offered to Parliament opposing it, so that homosexuality, homosexuality has become not only legal, 
but taught as an acceptable alternative lifestyle to our children in schools. Anyone since who does not agree is now called homophobic, a completely ridiculous assertion. A phobia is a fear. We don't fear them, we just despise everything they stand for. They now want to teach their pernicious brand of sex education to our five-year-olds in the school. No, long, no wonder we no longer trust the state school system. Do you know at NBC, where I come from, all of our children are either homeschooled or sent to a Christian school. And I believe that's probably the right way to go. It was radical feminist Sue Bradford who promoted the anti-biblical, anti-smacking laws. It was radical feminist Louisa Wall who promoted the change in law that allows same-sex marriages and same-sex adoptions. It has become the objective of the feminist movement to deny all gender differences. You know, God has a wonderful design for women. And uh, the influence a mother has on her children is absolutely immense, instilling in them moral values that will stand them instead for the rest of their lives. Have you heard the expression, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world? That is the mother who rocks the cradle. She's the one who brings up the next generation. It's the mothers that rule the world. This speaks of the immense value of the, that women can have in raising the next generation within their own families. You know, Campbell Morden, Morgan, that great preacher of a hundred years ago, said these words, and I quote, My dedication to the preaching of the word was maternal. That means it came from his mother. When but eight years old, I preached my first sermons to my little sister and her dolls, all arrayed in orderly fashion. My sermons were Bible stories I first heard from my mother. <coughs> Campbell Morgan had four sons who were all preachers. When someone asked him who was the best preacher in his family, he unhesitatingly said, my mother. Charles Spurgeon's father had been away for several weeks for quite a long time preaching around England, but away from home uh, and building up the churches of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. On his way home, he began to be convicted that he was neglecting the training, the spiritual training of his own children. When he arrived home at last, he let himself in the front door, it was the early evening, and climbed the stairs, stopped on the landing because he could hear his wife praying and praying with the children and for the children, uh, mentioning everyone by name. When she had finished uh, her prayers and instruction of the children, uh, Spurgeon Sr. said, I can go on with my work. My children are well cared for. Now, the godless feminist movement tells women that they have to be bold assertive, independent, competitive, to be the breadwinners, to take, never to take a backward step to man. Now, let us be in absolutely no doubt that men and women do share the same status together in Christ Jesus. And for that I bring to you Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's no sense of spiritual superiority or inferiority. It is just God's order. Now, what does this verse mean? There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither man nor woman. 
Well, all Christians, whether a Jew or a Greek, whether a Jew or a Gentile, are the same value in God's eyes, but one is still a Jew and the other is still a Greek or a Gentile. All Christians, uh, all Christian slaves and Christian masters are the same value in God's eyes, but one is still a slave and the other is still a master, with different roles. Christian men and Christian women are the same value in God's eyes, but one is still a man and the other is still a woman with different roles. The radical feminist movement is trying to de demolish all distinction between men and women, even to same-sex marriages. It's important that we understand that this is a godless age in which we live. The feminist movement has espoused all the godless law changes of our time. Radical feminist women in our parliament have been responsible for all the pernicious feminist agenda that is ruining our society today. Women like Fran Wilde, Sue Bradford, Louisa Wall with their homosexual law reform, anti-smacking laws, same-sex marriage and same-sex adoptions. What will they think of next? Well, actually, we know what's next because Marion Street has promised to bring in her... Um, uh, legalized euthanasia bill after the election. Legalized murder. Where will it end? How far will it go? Will it eventually be legalized pedophilia? Would you be utterly surprised at that? The whole movement is satanic. The whole movement is satanic. Now, is homosexuality a sin? Is it more gross than heterosexual sin? Clearly it is. Clearly it is. Listen to Romans 1, verses 26 to 32. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who do them. Today they hold their perverts parades in our cities and thousands go to approve of the immorality of these people. Gross immorality. Now, brothers and sisters, the church must not give it an inch. The church must give not an inch to it. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, there's a New Testament uh, reference to Lot, and this is how it goes. It's in Luke 17, 28. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built, but on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be uh, in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. People just going about their business as usual, eating, drinking, buying and selling, planting and so on. 
Of that day and hour, says Mark 13, no one knows but the angels of heaven, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And in Luke 17, but on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. You know, the Lord's return for his church is a secret day. It's a day when he goes, when, when life goes on as usual, people just going about with their everyday things and suddenly we're going to disappear. The trumpet, of the, the trumpet will sound and with the voice of the archangel of the dead and Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Are you looking forward to it? Now some of us, some that we have known have gone on before. They'll come back with the Lord to, to receive their bodies, to receive their resurrected bodies. We'll go up and we'll all be changed. 1 Thessalonians 3 and 13, you know, speaks of the Lord Jesus coming all the way back to the earth to reign. And he comes, listen, with his saints. What does that mean? That means his saints have already been raptured. So he's coming with his saints from heaven back to the earth to reign. We who had been with the Lord for those years, it might be for hundreds of years, it might only be for seven years, when he comes back, he's coming back with his saints who were raptured sometime before that. Now, well, Lot lost pretty much everything. He went down a very wealthy man. He lost his wife. He who had been so wealthy now lived in a cave with his two daughters. And there followed his drunkenness and the disgusting sinfulness of both his daughters, which produced the Moabite and the Ammonite nations who were perennial enemies of Israel. Can I just leave you with this short verse? Be not conformed to this world. We live in a very, very wicked world and we should realize that. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. How much better it will be to be conformed to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious word and, and for all the application that it has to us today. We think of Lot going down into the world there and living his life uh, in a worldly fashion, even though he was a saved man. And oh, our Father, we don't want to live like that. We pray that your gracious Holy Spirit will lead us out of such a life and that all these things which oppress Lot and oppress us today, that you will help us to live above them all and to live to the honour of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we have a really good, pure and holy testimony before our neighbours, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' precious name with thanksgiving. Amen. <music>